Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a brand new episode of Gym Class All-Stars, albeit kind of sponsored by Amazon Prime Day, I might have to say. Uh, if anyone's hearing me a little bit clearer, that would be thanks to my partner in crime here, Mr. Alex Baker, for buying me a brand new microphone. So I obviously have no way of hearing if I sound any different, but you guys let us know. Uh, from, from his end, it sounds like I'm, I'm coming out a little clearer. So I appreciate you very much, my friend. Very, very kind of you came in while I was in Tennessee, so I had to wait a little bit to get it. But uh, it's awesome. It's much nicer than the old one I had. So that's very much appreciated. Um, but how you doing, man? It's been a minute since we've been here. How's it going? I'm good. I was on the West Coast, or I don't know, the Mountain Coast, I guess. I was in Colorado, <laughs> and um, sure enough, when I was out there, being that it was in October, it uh, got a pretty bad winter storm, but I was able to make it out and travel back to the East Coast, so I'm doing all right. Right, so you're definitely out of the snowstorms now, right? Well, that's the thing. Like, Buffalo had no snow. It was probably like 40s, 50s here, and then all of a sudden I go to a different state, and it's like, now nah, we're going to snow instead. I'm like, all right, solid. Because why would you be able to get away? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, um few things going on uh, going on today, one of which I, I think today is daylight savings. So, you know, get I think we lose an hour of, or you all lose an hour of sleep. I live in Arizona. We don't follow that nonsense. So my, my day just means football has to happen an hour later than normal, which is a little frustrating. But we get 730 football tomorrow, so it's fine. Otherwise, we are finally back to a point where. Well, we for, for a brief moment we're at a point where all four professional sports were were in swing. We're back down to back down to three. Baseball just finished up. We'll get to that in a minute. But as we're here starting the show, we want to start with the beginning of the NBA season. That is as it is now. Oh, I'd say maybe two weeks in so far, and we're starting to get an idea of some teams contending. Not the teams that are are really struggling. My Heat have not gotten off to the hottest start, although they did have a good win yesterday over the Wizards, um, and one thing that has really kind of taken over in this these first few weeks, especially with, with the start of it kind of in the last few days, is the first ever NBA in-season tournament. Basically, there's just going to be a bunch of games counted as tournament games, and they're going to be added up, and then the teams have been broken up into groups. Those groups are, in theory, competing. The The winners of the groups, however, they I, I don't remember the exact specifications, but we'll move on into the actual tournament with the winners eventually playing a game in Vegas with a grand prize of, I believe it's just cash for every all parties involved, the team, the players, the coaches, everybody gets a, a nice cash payout. You get a Vegas weekend vacation, and I'm sure I'm sure a nice trophy. Um, lots going on with this. First things first, regardless of every opinion about it have in the first few days has it really felt like there's been any difference in the competitive competitiveness of play at the start of the regular season no just because it's usually fairly competitive but i will say i'm curious to see how the next week goes because we're having we had opening weekends we've had our first week of actual games where it really lags is those Tuesday games, a lot of times those Wednesday games, if you have them, then Thursday. Last night's Thursday games were were good, part of the in-season tournament. A lot of close games, a lot of overtime games. You know, Warriors and Thunder had one. Um, the Trailblazers and Grizzlies had one, no matter how much of a dumpster fire you may deem that as. it It's 
good. It's probably going to keep it competitive. But sustainability of it, I'm not sure because it's usually competitive the first two weeks. People will start to get fatigued, injured, and then you have what we all know and love, load management, where people won't play on a Tuesday. And then by probably late November into December, that's where people are going to take precautionary measures, be out for a while. And, you know, this in-season tournament, I'm sure, was designed to try and avoid superstars or load management or just those precautionary measures in the first place by incentivizing teams to do it. However, and we've talked about this, I don't know what you really win. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest incentive is, like, it's it's extra money. And from what I understand, it's a fairly significant amount of money. Like, enough that would, in theory, entice a player that maybe isn't making, you know, $50 million a year. But, you know, those guys on those fringe contracts that aren't sure if they're going to get their next big payday, it really does incentivize them to want to play better, to play harder, and, and to, to compete for it. But outside of that, I don't think it decides, you know, it doesn't do anything like deciding home court advantage in, in the championship game or anything like that. There really is no benefit to, for anyone that just isn't isn't a top earner in the NBA. You kind of mentioned on what I, what I wanted to get into here and that this what this really feels like is is a ploy by the NBA to eliminate load management, which as a fan, I'm fine with. I hate load management. It's it's a stupid concept made up by Greg Popovich. But it's not just because of this. Because, yes, you're, I, I think there's nothing wrong with trying to incentivize regular season basketball. I am a huge basketball fan, and I don't watch regular season basketball. It stinks. It's not entertaining anymore. This is something that, in theory, could make it more entertaining. The play-in, despite my personal opinions of it, has seemed to have worked. And a lot of people really do enjoy the play in these days. And I think this is that's where this idea kind of came from, is let's take that successful idea and try and, uh, you know, take a regular season approach to it. And I, I see where they're going with. I think year one, we're always going to have some hiccups. These courts are a mess. I don't know what high school gym they came up with this idea in, but it's they're ter- every single one is terrible. It literally hurts to watch, and it already hurts to watch the NBA. But the reason I'm saying it's not just this in terms of it being a ploy about load management is because of the other thing that changed this year. The rule about all-stars and all-NBA players not being allowed to sit on certain without certain notice or, or consecutive games in a row. That rule in itself made sense, and this tournament in itself makes sense. But when you put these two ideas together, it really goes, wow, we can clearly see what the focus of the NBA's offseason was. It was to get the star players on the court, which, again, to a fan, sounds great, right? That is the end goal. You won't want to go to a game where you went to watch Steph Curry play LeBron James, and all of a sudden you're watching Gary Payton play Cam Reddish. You don't want that. So, So overall, I like the direction they're trying to go in, it just feels like they're doing it in almost a backhanded way by by trying to force these players to play in competitive games early on in the year when at the end of the day it is a, a marathon, not a sprint, the NBA regular season. And and that's why I don't think the, the, the truly championship contending teams are going to concern themselves so much with the with the tournament. I'm not saying that means we're going to see the Blazers playing the Magic in the in, in the in season tournament championship. No, 
But I also don't think either of the NBA championship teams are likely to be playing in it either. I don't think the Nuggets will be trying very hard. I don't think the Lakers will be trying very hard. I think the Bucks will be trying very hard. The teams that have something to prove should be going after this. The teams that know what they're about and know what the real end goal is, the Nuggets, the Celtics, the Heat, the, the Lakers, they're not going to be so concerned with this. And so that's why I, I don't hate it as much as I think I outright did right when it got announced. But it just feels like a backhanded way of eliminating this concept that loses the NBA a lot of money. Yeah, it's the idea and concept and attention to it is important. And I do think the idea of it trying to eliminate load management is a great idea. As we talked about before, and I alluded to at the prize, it's tough when the grand prize of this all is the NBA championship. The NBA is the best league in the world. Winning that is a big deal. In soccer or football, however you want to call it, you have like there's the Premier League. That's the best, the best in England or in Europe. In England, for lack of all intents and purposes. <laughs> You win that, you're immortalized. Like, that's a big deal, and that's a great thing. The top four teams, though, also play in what's called the Champions League. The Champions League just is great because you're playing the best teams all across the world. And, you know, winning the Premier League is one thing because it's it's your league. It's, it's your version of the NBA. Winning the Champions League is awesome, too, because you're, like, the best team in the world, quote, unquote. This case, though, it's almost like you're devaluing, like, there's the NBA championship, which is like the Champions League, and now we've added this mid-tier kind of March Madness-style tournament that isn't March Madness, it's more like just a bunch of playing games and boost. Because you can hang a banner for winning the NBA championship. Mm-hmm. Hanging a banner for, I won the 2023-24 NBA in-season tournament does not have the same ring to it. I'm sure it may eventually get there, but it's not as effective. And the other thing, too, like in the NFL, winning your division is a big thing. You go to a Sixers game, you'll see the Atlantic Division championships they've won. Mm-hmm. But, like, no one cares. Nobody cares. It's, it doesn't no, matter. It's like, nobody cares you're the best team in the NBA 20, 20 games in. Nobody cares. Here's a positive, though, about this, I think. How long is it going to? It goes till like next year, like early next year. Yeah, like just before the All Star break, I think. So one thing that could be beneficial for teams and owners, though, is if you're a team that's kind of in this weird middle ground, you're not sure if you're going to contend or like tank, or even if you are tanking and want to offload people. This is a great place, though, to take your young stars or trade pieces and just let them cook. You let guys like the rookie Rubios of the world, you just just let them go off so they have moderately more trade value and then use that to your advantage. Because right now, minus the money and free weekend in Vegas, it's enticing, don't get me wrong. Everyone likes free money, quote unquote. But it's not going to entice those big superstars unless there's something like worth fighting for it's like in community with the paintball episode the first one that priority (laughs) registration where everyone just goes berserk about it that's what's going to inspire people and make it must watch television 
So I all I was going to say was Dennis Rodman would have had the Bulls playing in the in-season championship every single year if it was in Vegas. That exactly. Dennis Rodman would have been what's a guys who's a who's a mid-tier superstar that I could compare him to that he could play like prime Rudy Gay. Yes, prime Rudy Gay. That's probably the best example. So I I don't hate the idea like we talked about. I think they need to incentivize more prizes. I also think this is a stepping stone just to see what the interest is. Because like yeah. It if people are really interested in it and like people are all in on it, then okay, you don't need to change stuff and sort of off put the balance. But I do think if ratings tank and people aren't kind of really caring about it, you know, offering a playoff spot, I know that could be detrimental, but you need to push the tournament out to like the end of the season. So that way, okay, if the Milwaukee Bucks win the in-season tournament, it's not like they can just take the entirety of the season off. They take like the last 10 games. The, the Heat will win the in-season tournament and then bench Jimmy Butler for the rest of the regular season and accept all of the fines. And they would. And there there should be no repercussions for it. But you need to push it out further so that way it's not like yeah we're, we get to this point. There's like you're through 50 games and it's like, oh, I don't need to do anything. I'm already in the playoffs. We made just, it. Yeah. Or at least like a pl- maybe a play-in spot guaranteed. That could that feels more reasonable. Actually, yeah, I do agree with that. That's probably fair. Like, you're guaranteed a play-in game if you you're do better than that. Guaranteed a chance at the playoffs, basically. Yeah, you throw a, a third wild card like play-in team in there, just like the NFL. Right, now we're getting now we're getting real gross with this. Um, what I do know is that is that this is in general just a way for the NBA to try and gain more revenue. That you know. Viewership has been down year after year. The last NBA Finals between the Nuggets and the Heat was one of the least watched of all time. The NBA is just trying to do whatever it can to stay up, propped up as one of the, you know, basically they need the ability to get grants all these million dollar, million dollar contracts that they're offering to these players and to these these coaches and whatnot. So just trying to do what they can. Obviously, no one's going to stop watching the NBA because of this. But who knows if it will actually draw in more the more viewership that they're looking for. One thing we do have to say about about the in-season tournament that I think everybody is in agreeable on is that the courts are terrible. The NBA had some grand idea to make cool Oregon Duck themed courts in terms of the color schemes and the patterns and whatnot, and it's tanked horribly. I mean, it is vis- physically hard to watch the games on these courts because the, the courts are so difficult to keep your eyes on. There's so much going on. I <laughs> hopefully this is a one and done type of situation it's one game and then you go back to your regular court for this but my goodness what a swing and a miss they're an eyesore and that's to put it lightly because they're terrible like they didn't need to do anything special quite frankly like they could have spruced it up you know added the NBA finals I know this is a very cliche example but like putting the trophy in the middle Real, real simple. It's very nostalgic. We like it. Obviously, it's a different trophy, but like doing something like that, putting in-season tournament, maybe adding a little bit of garnishes to the sides, mm-hmm. that's totally fine. But having a bright yellow runway on the Suns court that I look like I could land a plane on, gross. Yeah. Do you, do you remember those those fluorescent pink and blue heat jerseys that were literally split down the middle? 
Oh, how could I forget? Yeah, exactly. It reminds me like they it's like somebody thought that was the greatest idea ever. And then their mind just ex- was allowed to explode into a brand new idea. I, like whoever got to work on it artistically, you know, I'm happy you got this opportunity. But honestly, I don't understand why for a big thing like this, teams don't just go throwback. It's so good. Every fan loves it. I don't know. I know it's a lot of money sometimes, but this also clearly cost a lot of money. So, well, but that's the thing where every year, like I, when they started doing the city editions of their jerseys, cool idea. You liked them, like they were unique, different. They've just been pumping them out year after year, and some years are great. Like I don't know if you've seen the Heat one this year, the Heat Culture one. The Heat one's pretty cool. It's cool. It's nice. It goes back to its roots, a little stylized. Even the Sixers one this year, it's I think a brotherly love one. It's nothing to rave about, but it's like, okay, this is cool. It's got like the old script for like 76ers. And then you got like Memphis, which you can't even read the words M-E-M on it. It gives you an eyesore and like you're having a stroke as you're reading it. There... I worry that the oversaturation of all these, whether it's courts, games that matter, the logos, the jerseys, it's a little bit of this oversaturation. And I think to push a good product, like we've talked about for years and probably last year when we're like the state of the NBA kind of sucks, is those storylines. I'm not saying to force them unorganically, but, you know, we really cared when the Rockets and Clippers were at each other's throats and like really wanted to beat up each other and like fight each other in the locker room. That was something we cared about. Or, you know, we had LeBron, obviously that one happened organically, but LeBron not winning a championship in Cleveland, needing to form a big three and like seeing what he could do and then having other teams stop him and all these juggernauts and superpowers. It kind of seems like they're going day in, day out, playing their game. And it seems like a 40-episode sitcom for a season where you're like, I'm just here for the ending of the season. Yeah, like like none of these are even canonically making sense at this point. You're just pumping out episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. So, again, maybe the in-season tournament does fix that a little bit, but it's way too early to tell so far. We need a, a fight to happen. <laughs> we need blood. That's what we need. <laughs> P.J. Tucker looks about ready to explode, so we'll just keep eyes on him. Speaking of P.J. Tucker. Exactly the transition I was going to go into there as uh, obviously the big marquee trade, P.J. Tucker to the Clippers right now. Um, the the What seemed like, it has been months, it seemed like eons ago, James Harden requested his trade out of Philly, his eighth trade over the past two and a half seasons. Eighth trade request, excuse me, over the past two and a half seasons. Uh, it did... F- finally come after so many failed attempts so much stopping and starting and negotiations uh Harden had missed the first few games of the Sixers season so far had not been playing finally Philadelphia and the Clippers were able to agree on a deal which sent James Harden PJ Tucker and Philip Petrusev to the Clippers and in return the Sixers got two future first round draft picks I believe a pick swap if I'm not mistaken Yes. And then they got a plethora of middling players, Marcus Morris, uh, Nick Batum, Robert Covington and K.J. Martin, Kenyon Martin Jr. 
Not Terrence Mann like the Sixers had originally wanted. Obviously, no one, no one above that pay grade either. Um, and the picks a little bit further down the line than a lot of people may have liked, but also the Clippers don't have very many draft picks in the coming years. So I don't necessarily know what Sixers fans were hoping for there. Overall, who do you think the winner of the trade was? I think with by the end of the decade, it will be the Sixers. The only reason I say that is because there seems like there was a disconnect between Harden and Embiid. If Harden being traded, the rumblings of Embiid wanting to go somewhere else increased, then I'd be like, yeah, it's it's absolutely the Clippers. Um, I think the Clippers have this year as their shot to win the title because that core is getting older. It's, I'm not getting into that with you. I can't uh, do this again. I can't do this dance every year. Well, but no, but like this, like they have to win this year. No, they will not win I next year. Mean, I know what you mean. <laughs> it's on paper. It sounds good. They're all aged. They're not the players they used to be. And that's that. That's just a problem. Getting Batum, Covington, Marcus Morris is fine. It gives you some sort of bench depth. How reliable are they going to be? I don't know. Robert Covington was very reliable in the process era. We're going to see him five years removed from that. So maybe a little bit of a miss. But is uh is one of them going to be the starter, or has Ubre been the starter? Since since Harden's been gone in general. Well, this uh, goes. I've watched very little Sixers basketball as of now, but I think Ubre is going to be the starter just because he's been doing very well. He's been putting up good points in his showings, and you know I would keep the hot hand. I like the idea though, Marcus Morris off the bench, or you know, if he's put in the starting lineup, it's not terrible in my opinion because he can kind of give you a little bit of spacing and play half decent defense you know that sort of pest like I also uh, don't hate him as Embiid's backup though to be honest just because of that like he brings that physicality that where maybe you don't have the offensive Embiid on the court but all of a sudden that energy that Embiid Embiid brings might still be there yeah I, I don't hate it too except he's not Embiid's height by any means like he's not a well okay we can Nobody go back is. Well, I know, but like he's six eight versus seven foot. Like, I I I understand that, but at the end of the day, very very few teams have two centers that are exact same height or, or close in the same height in the same build. The reason you want something different is because you don't want the exact you want the same presence, but you don't want the exact same player because otherwise you're just putting on a worse version of the same player. Like a worse version of Joel Embiid is not a good basketball player, and that's that's what I'm saying here is like you don't want. As a Heat fan, I can say this. You don't want Thomas Bryant as your backup center. <laughs> and I think Marcus Morris is just has over the last few years in L.A. especially really cemented himself as a guy who plays better coming off the bench. And yeah. you just got all of the forward depth in the world. Why why worry about anything else? Mo, Mo Bamba stinks. Paul Reed has never quite broken into the player he's he's hoped to. You have been gifted a backup center. I would just take him and not worry about his height or his jumping ability at this point too much. More than fair. But getting that forward depth, like you said, is a big thing. It will help, especially coming off the bench. Like You can 
play Beverly and then put some forwards in there and just kind of. you had Patrick Beverly. Yeah, I know. But you have more options, more availability with forwards. Like I think they're a lot more versatile than if you got just a bajillion guards. Um, I think that's what the Clippers thought while they signed them all. Yeah, exactly. The one question mark about this trade is moving Harden gives Maxi the ability to finally like be the player he could be destined to be. Like it's you're gonna see his ceiling potentially, and that's the if if Maxi turns out to be a stud and is scoring 20 plus a night and just a great shooter, then big win you got away from a pretty big contract and you have a real young guy to pair with Embiid right now that's the way it's working mm-hmm. we're gonna see if it continues I have faith in Maxi though that he'll at least be consistently good I worry about that in the playoffs though and that's where we're gonna see what happens I worry about a lot of things with the Philadelphia 76ers come playoff time regular season is the worry, worry right now and I think I think Maxie's going to take that step as as just a general fan of basketball, as as what I've seen from Tyrese Maxie over his first few years in the NBA. I think he's very capable of taking that that almost hardened like step, maybe not MVP level at any point, but Weird. but that that next tier step. What Sixers fans don't want to think about right now is the reality of what happens if he doesn't, because there is it's like Dr. Strange holding up the one at the end of Endgame. There is one reality I see happening if Tyrese Maxey is not able to just be that other dude. And that is Joel Embiid's gone. He just has been treated so horribly by the Sixers ownership group. They have done so little to help him since Jimmy Butler. That whole situation fell apart after the Sixers created what could have been one of the greatest teams of all time. Butler gets traded. Simmons has the, the most expensive temper tantrum in the history of sports. And they all just forget that Embiid can't actually do it by himself. He's never been able to do it by himself. And now you're asking Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and all the guys who had to play in place of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George over the last few years to go win you an NBA championship. It's just not going to happen. Not in the East. Not with the Bucks and Dame. Not with the Celtics and what they're going to do defensively this year. Not with a team like the Heat or the Cavs lurking as to nobody really knows what they're going to be able to do this year. There has to be another move for Philly, in my opinion, if this is a contending year. And it has to be for one of those two Chicago Bulls. Yeah, and I agree where this trade does not win you a championship. I don't think anyone would argue with that. Um, the other two Bulls, you're talking Levine and DeRozan? No, I'm talking Vucevic and Drummond. Of course, I'm talking Levine and DeRozan. Listen, I'm just checking. Because Levine, I know what your thoughts are about him. Levine um, is the one I think you should go after. I do not love Zach Levine. We know this. Everybody listening knows this. But we also do have to talk about just fit. And that's exactly what you're looking for. The one thing you won't really have is perimeter defense. I don't know how good of a defender Maxi is. That's the one thing I don't know about his game, too. I know he's not awful. He's okay. Um, But him and him and Levine doesn't sound like a a high, high quality defensive backcourt. I know you have Beverly and Melton then off the bench or maybe one of them has to go in a trade. Um, But offensively speaking, that takes a lot of pressure off of Joel Embiid, who when we talk about playoff time, what I've noticed over the last few years is, and I know he battles injuries sometimes, but 
it, it almost looks like he still scores on these plays, but it looks like the most dysfunctional offensive play possible that ends with Joel Embiid just being skilled enough to put the ball in the basket. Having a guy like Harden, at least this late in the career that he they did, didn't really help alleviate that situation. And Maxi wasn't quite good enough yet to do enough either. You bring in Maxi, you bring in a proven prime of his career scorer like Zach Levine, which all he does is score in crunch time. Literally, that is all he does. I don't know. That sounds pretty good. That sounds like when I was pulling for Bradley Beal on the Heat a few years ago. It's like this just like he's not the best player available. But he's like like fit wise, what he brings to the table is exactly what that what that team needs. He's that third piece that can take all of the offensive pressure off of Joel Embiid if need be, because Levine can go off for 30 plus any night. Maxi isn't there yet. Well, it's good you say that because I agree that. Levine would be better suited for it. I know what you want to say about him and just how he is as a player, but I do think you need that scoring. You need that just ability to create. And I I like it better than DeRozan under the pretense that DeRozan is getting up there in age and nothing really aligns from a timeline perspective. Like you're DeRozan could be good for a few more years or serviceable, but like your window is now like you need to win yes. within the next two three years your team also has no three-point shooting on it right now Levine brings significantly more three-point shooting mm-hmm. than DeMar DeRozan does yeah absolutely I will say Maxi has gotten a lot better at shooting I'm not not gonna say he's the fix all for that but you're right Levine could do a lot to help out and I think they should go for him because I don't know what the Bulls want for him because my understanding it's like they're not gonna make the playoffs really or they're not gonna be competitive if they do yeah what do they want for him my that's that's where my fear aligns is that what's gonna happen is Levine's price is gonna be a little outrageous and DeRozan's price is gonna be a little more reasonable and the Sixers are gonna say cool done DeRozan yeah Ken I I'm this may just me be speaking into a cloud here but can they afford Levine's contract? Because Maxie's still on his rookie deal, right? Yes, but at Kickbit, that's his extension starts next year, if I'm not mistaken. So you're only Maxie's, on that. Yeah. You only get that for one more year. Getting rid of Harden helped a lot. It helped sure. a lot. Marcus Morris, however, is also on a decent amount of contract, but that's up at the end of the year. Roko's on a decent amount of money deal, but again, I believe he's also up at the end. of. Oh, no, he signed a two-year deal this uh, this summer. Um, it, it'll be interesting. What will likely have to happen, though, is the Sixers will have to take on some kind of just cap hit, basically, and accept it and move on. So Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and Covington make 17, 11, and 11, respectively. Mm-hmm. So first of all, Morris is in the trade. That's just that's just part of it. Yeah, you you, you yeah. can't hold that 17 million, and one of those other two guys is as well. My guess, just because of the connection Covington already has, they would prefer it to be Batum, unless over the course of the time to develop, potentially develop this trade, someone else, Martin, yeah, Batum between Batum and Rocco steps up, makes themselves kind of proven as that that starting or backup for, and and kind of just makes a decision for the Sixers. Yeah, 
I I agree with that. And I'm curious to see what draft capital they'd want. But um, that's the end of the Harden era in Philly. Um, yeah. And we're going to see what the Clippers can do with it. But I think their window is over. And I think they need to try and win now. But I don't think it's going to be possible. Vintage Harden. Put him back on the bench. It's the only way. But I've been saying that for like five years now, so nobody's listening to me. I've accepted that. All right. Given that the NBA season has just just gotten underway, we are going to just kind of end our NBA segment here with a few predictions of how we think the year is going to play out. You know, division winners, conference winners, championship winners, such like that. Not a full on time capsule like we do for the NFL, uh, but just a few predictions for, for you guys to, to kind of judge and test us as the year goes on. All right, so we're just going to do – we're going to hold ourselves accountable, but like East-West, NBA champion, and we're going to start with – we're going to go away from teams, though, and do MVP and Rookie of the Year first. So I'm going to say Rookie of the Year, and give me your consensus Rookie of the Year pick because it's probably who I'm going to pick if he's seven foot five and plays for the Spurs. Barring any season-ending injury – Victor Wenbinyama will be the rookie of the year. The only competition for him is Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. And we're dropping 38 in like your fourth game. You're doing fine. You're doing just fine, kid. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that in both aspects. Um, MVP, though. So my gut says it's going to be the Joker. That's that's and he then cements himself as this era's best center. However, there's a, someone who I'm sure you won't like. I'm sure the world won't like to, Not that the world is listening. World won't like to hear me say that is a sleeper pick for the MVP. And that's because we pretty much know at this point he's going to be back next year. LeBron James. The Clippers are in a very good spot. Or excuse me, the Lakers. We just talked the about Clippers them. are in a great spot. The, La- the Lakers are in a very good spot right now. They just I know they finished as the seventh seed last year, but as we know, they got all the way to the conference finals. The Warriors may have gotten a bit better, but the West itself, in my opinion, actually got a little bit worse, especially with Dame moving over moving out east. I think that the Lakers have a very good chance of this, and I don't I, I think LeBron at this point has to be prepared for the Anthony Davis injury. And the team feels a little bit more built for an Anthony Davis injury. I think if LeBron James can keep this Lakers team as I would say they probably have to be a top two or three seed in the Western Conference basically the entire year. But if LeBron stays healthy, if Jokic or Embiid or or Tatum, you know, they're not doing insane, insane. I'm above the rest of the pack stats. I think LeBron might have one more in him so long as the voter fatigue hasn't fully worn off for him. I think that's probably the biggest thing working against him, to be completely honest. But the Celtics have to be the runaway one seed for Tatum to be the MVP. Same with the Bucks for Giannis or Dame. And Dame can't win the MVP, it would be honest. I don't see Embiid winning another one again unless the Sixers have a spectacular year. And I really then only see... Jokic has an option. Luka, maybe, if the Mavericks play really well. But then then where are we at? We know no one on the Phoenix Suns is going to be the MVP. They're just not going to play enough games. 
I think the one name you need to mention there in the same vein as LeBron is Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Just because the Warriors have talent and they're good, but you've seen a regression in the this is my opinion, but Clay Thompson is not the Clay Thompson we used to see. Jeremy Green's still good, but not like he can only do so much. Steph Curry is just unbelievably spectacular. And if they can keep a one seed there and he stays healthy, because that's what derailed him last year. He was looking great and then got injured, played sporadically. But I think you need to consider him again. I also think that voter fatigue will kick in. But that's something to be intrigued about. I don't think Giannis will win it. Just being with Dame now, even if they're the one seed, he's going to need to put up mind-breaking numbers. I think Jokic has finally turned the corner of not just voter fatigue, and now, like, okay, we saw what he did without winning an MVP. It's like, all right, this guy is legit. But I think if he wins another MVP, that voter fatigue goes back to existing. Oh, yes, yeah. If he gets the third, like, you cannot there as 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 around the corner of I have come on Nikola Jokic. I definitively think he's the best center in basketball. I actually think he's the best player in basketball right now. That's the first time I've outwardly said that about anybody other than LeBron James um, since I've been alive. I think. Um, yep. But there is no world where he deserves to be mentioned in the same light as LeBron James, at least at this point in his career. And if you give him a a third MVP, he is now one away from LeBron James. You cannot give him a fourth. There is no version of Nikola Jokic's career where he deserves a fourth if LeBron only got four. Not to keep churning on this topic, though, but I do think there's a lot of really good players. There aren't a whole lot of that upper echelon. Like, you have your Giannis. Luka hasn't won one. I think he'll win one eventually, but that's to be determined. Steph's getting older. LeBron's getting older. Jason Tatum is in that echelon, too, where he could win if he keeps a consistent amount. Uh, um, Jokic, Embiid won one, so you'd have to throw him in there. But, like, after that, there aren't a whole – there's not a lot of guys that are in that tier. Well, because the guys that are in that tier are players that we have grown accustomed to not being – up for awards anymore. Kevin Durant just doesn't play enough games anymore. Jimmy Butler is just not ever mentioned for an MVP. But a guy like Harden play has regressed. A guy, a guy like Harden and and Kawhi Leonard, they've just regressed too much to really be considered MVP caliber players anymore. Jalen Brown just isn't quite in the right situation to be in. You know, there's just so many players that could, I think, be listed with with this group. But circumstantially speaking, I, I think Jimmy Butler might honestly be the weirdest one. I don't want to sound too heat biased here, but except he for the years when he misses though. 20-something games, he's never yeah. mentioned for awards, even though he's arguably the best defensive player in basketball. And but, that's just going to happen. That's part of being in a – not that Miami is a small market, but that's part of being in a smaller market team. Your name is going to get mentioned less. But also Jimmy Butler, he does whatever it takes to win, and that's mm-hmm. that could be putting up five and twenty rebounds. Exactly, and the NBA does never ever wants to see their MVP score five points. No, you want it to put twenty and ten, then mm-hmm. more stats. 
And that's why I assume if Nikola Jokic puts up whatever ridiculous stats he's going to put up this year, if it's near a triple-double again, he's just... Again, unless someone really steps up, like if Tatum goes out and goes Kobe mode and averages 35 a game, yeah, he's the MVP. But Jokic is now the standard because Embiid won the MVP and then Jokic one-upped him by winning the NBA Finals MVP. Jokic's stat line is now the baseline for the MVP, and that's the issue we've continued to run into basically ever since Russell Westbrook won the MVP. Yeah. So I need to give an actual answer after running away from <laughs> the question. I will say, I, I got to say Jokic just because you see he's healthy. That's yeah, going to be uh, a large yeah, exactly. part He's missed very few games in his career. I <laughs> the say that four he going. missed last year is why Embiid won MVP. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say that, and he's going to just break his leg. And I'm like, well, never mind. Okay. Uh, who's winning the East? As much as I I hate to say it, right now it does look like the Milwaukee Bucks. Hmm. I, I, I don't want to. Obviously, you know my other choice is going to be the Miami Heat, but I will right now say the Milwaukee Bucks. I really want to say the Celtics, and I'm sure I did this last year, because that team on paper looks so, so good, and they've done a lot to like bolster it. But, man, no matter how good their lineup is and how unstoppable their shooting is, they just find ways to lose in the playoffs. And it's yeah. incredible. I actually think you pick them all the time to try and manifest that, so I appreciate it. I do that with the Cowboys, too. Make no mistake. Of course. Of course. Also, we need to take a quick pause really, really quick, just because I remembered something that needs to be in the NBA report, and I'm going to forget it if I don't say it right now. Okay. I, I have given endless crap to Doris Burke for single-handedly giving Robert Williams the nickname the Time Lord for absolutely no reason. And now the Portland Trailblazers social media account has come in and saved the day as they have given what I am now proclaiming the greatest nickname in all of sports history is Rob Williams is they're calling him Rob Lob after a really nice lob that he he got in the last game. And they're saying it is short for Robert Lobster. And <laughs> that is now my favorite Robert nickname Lobster. of all time. That's yeah, I'm I'm in on Robert Lobster. <laughs> Rob Lob or Robert Lobster, I think, blows time. As, as spectacular as Time Lord is, there's no purpose to it. Robert Lobster. Yeah, I'm in. And it, and it, Rob Lob is the nickname. Robert Lobster is his father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Rob Lobster, you mean my father? <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to sneak that in before I forgot about it. So based off all of that and the Rob Lob comments, I'll just go with the Celtics so that way I can hopefully manifest something. But I do think Porzingis is the big question mark. If he doesn't stay healthy, that's just yeah. nix it. Assuming they stay healthy and shoot lights out like they always do, that's where I think they could make it to the NBA championship. And if Tatum doesn't roll his ankle two seconds into game seven. That too. That might have, might have helped the heat a little bit. Weast. All right, least that's, I mean, the, the Nuggets, obviously, that's that's the obvious choice. I don't, as as much as I think the Lakers will win a game in a series against them this year, I don't think they have done enough to beat them. And where the Nuggets did lose a decent amount so far, two weeks in, so far it does not look like they have skipped very much of a beat. It looks like the bench players they are asking to step up have been stepping up so far. So I will hold firm on the Nuggets. Um, but you know me, I don't ever sleep on LeBron James. It's, uh, yeah, I, I 
I got to go with the Nuggets again. I, I don't think the Warriors could beat them. That's the only team I, like, think yeah. that could That would have been a fun series to get last year. You ruined it. LeBron ruined it. No, LeBron I, does that. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're still a complete team despite losing some of their bench pieces last year. Injuries could be the thing that derails them, but, you know, that team has been there, done that. I'd ride with them as far as you can. Mm-hmm. And then, who's winning the play-in tournament? <laughs> who's winning the in-season tournament or the play-in in, tournament? In-season, in okay. <laughs> In-season tournament winner is going to be going to the New York generator. Knicks. Really? It is going to be the New York Knicks, and Stephen A. Smith is going to proclaim for the rest of the year that they're the best team in basketball. And then they are going to make the NBA playoffs as the seven seed. And they are going to get swept by the Boston Celtics. Okay. I will say, though, for whatever reason, the Knicks play the Celtics very well. That's true. I don't know why, but Evan Fournier lights out. Like, Even though he's not in the rotation, but Tom Thibodeau should consider putting him in. They, they, they try and imbue the Red Sox-Yankees energy, but they realize they're both just worse versions of them. And then, oh, yeah. and then they just kind of butt heads. Yeah, it's actually like the the Mets and the Mets. Anywho, uh, <laughs> couldn't think of any other Massachusetts team because there are none. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, I want a good team, someone who's kind of half decent. I think the Kings. Ooh, that's a good one. I like Just that. Let Mike Brown get a little bit of praise. You know, they still will probably be a good team this year, but then, you know, winning that is good for the city, and they'll probably still get killed in the playoffs at some point, but I like that as kind of a, a precursor win. You can hang something in Sacramento. I, honestly, it also would put some of those smaller market teams, if they're able to win it, on the map. I was Like almost, your Timberwolves. Yeah, no, I was almost thinking that's one of the very few teams that would actually win it, and I would take it as a positive for their franchise. Yeah. Yeah, in general. Like you actually gave a team that is probably never, at least with this roster, never going to be competing for a true NBA championship a chance to really showcase their peak ability. And no, maybe they beat the Nuggets on a day where the the Nuggets weren't playing 100%, you know, effort-wise, but they played a really good few, you know, run of games. They want a, they want a really good competitive championship game. I I I could see that as beneficial to both, obviously, for the Kings and to the rest of the league in general. That That's one of the scenarios where I could see that it working out overall. The Knicks, yeah. not so much. And then we just talked about our East Conference, Western Conference champions. Who's winning it all, Robbie? For you, it's the Bucks or the Nuggets. Who's winning yeah. it all? I, um, I got to say the Nuggets again, as they've looked so good. I... I, I'm trying to find the words where it doesn't just sound like if Damian Lillard went to the Heat, the Heat would win the NBA championship. Because I do think that. I do genuinely think that. But I think the Bucks are really, really good. But I think they're still going to fall into one problem. And that's if Dame is just having an off night, Giannis can't win basketball games. He just can't do it. And then based off the NBA Finals last year, the Nuggets do not make mistakes. Come come crunch time, they are so 
smart with the basketball. They are so good defensively. Jokic never felt like a defensive-minded player to me, and he was averaging at least a block and a half a game in the NBA Finals. They are too solid, and the Bucks, even after a whole year together and a whole playoff run together, will be too new to be able to do it. I still don't trust the health and ability of Chris Middleton anymore, nor do I trust their depth. I got the Nuggets over the Bucks in five. Okay. I, I like the Nuggets as well. I know it's a boring pick, but Nuggets versus Celtics, I think they win that with just they've been there, done that. And I do think for whatever reason, like they figured it out defensively too. They just have like they have good role players. They have people who can shoot. Michael Porter Jr. is maybe not in that conversation <laughs> as much, but I think they figure it out, and I think they win in six. Six, yeah. I, I I said my five, and I thought maybe maybe at six. I think the Bucks might put up a better fight than the Heat did, but regardless, it looks, looks like we're at a consensus that the Denver Nuggets are going to repeat as NBA champions. So there you have it. Sorry, it's boring. Sorry, it's not exciting, but. We'll see what happens. A lot could happen. A lot of excitement is primed for this NBA season. A lot of younger guys who may actually step up and do some wonders and actually make a splash. So I'm really excited about that, You know, especially the, the taller individuals that are lanky and skinny, just because I'm projecting onto them. I got you. Here, here's one, one more prediction real quick to throw out before we bring it to a close here. Not necessarily who's going to win the most improved player, but who do you think is a guy that is going to surprise a lot of people with their play this year? Good question. Uh, you know, it's tough because there are guys like CJ McCollum's of the world who are always good and play very well, but they they sort of fall by the wayside unless you are very, like, in tune with the NBA season or a analyst says them kind of as, Oh, they put up 25 points, a real great showing for them kind of thing. Who do I think is going to be better than expected or surprise people? I'm going to try and avoid a rookie. Cause I honestly am pretty crap when it comes to picking rookies. That'll be good. Minus your unicorns of the world. But if I say James Harden, will you crucify me live? Um, yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, I will. I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, one answer I'll give it's kind of lame, but Cade just because he was injured last year, mm, that's one I like that, that I think could be interesting. Um, I. I can't buy into this right now, but John Collins has looked really good in the Jazz, and that's like interesting. But I think that's gonna fizzle out pretty quickly. Not like marketing from last year. I'm gonna say, and Hal Burns another good one, but I think he's just he's too mainstream. So, where my answer nets out, I'm gonna say, and Jordan Poole while he's putting up. Decent numbers, man. The Wizards stink. We're we all enjoying Baker's honorary mentions. <laughs> I hope you are. I'm gonna say <sighs> I'm 
I, you know, it's funny because all the guys I'm thinking of are like been mentioned or talked about, like your McHale Bridges of the world. I promise you, I'm not stalling. I'm just really trying to think through this. <laughs> no, no, please. I'm going to say. I'm also happy to tell you mine and get the ball rolling for you. <laughs> never, never. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right, say yours. I, I think I have an answer, <laughs> but just say yours. All right, mine's Tyler Hero. Mostly because I think he is going to be forced into the role of the Miami Heat's point guard. I hope to God Lowry gets benched or traded at some point. Um, but all of the talk all offseason was about who who wants Hero and that nobody wants Hero in this Dame trade. Nobody wants to be the guy, the team to take on Hero. I have to imagine Tyler Hero heard that as, wow, okay, I got a lot to prove. And despite the game against the Celtics being a rough one, he has played very well so far this year. The Heat have not been winning yet. It ha- hasn't quite translated, but they've also had guys in and out of the lineup so far. He's been the only one consistently in the lineup so far. And I have like what I've seen. I really do as a playmaker, as a defender, and of course, as a shot creator. He's our most creative shot creator, I would say. I think the Heat's success this year is paramount to Tyler Hero having the best year of his career. Okay. I would have put that in the they're good and we've heard about them. So it's not as underrated, but still a good choice because the heat success will be very much on him. I'm going to go opposite conference. I'm going to go on a team that, you know, who's going to get all the love this year because he's going to do really good. But a more of a still a good player, but going to get lost in the shuffle a little bit from the mainstream media. Devin Vassell, Vassell, however you pronounce the last name. I think he's going to get lost in the shuffle behind Webb and Yama. He's still going to put up 17, 19 points a game. Keldon Johnson is another one who I think is going to be a lot more impactful than people give him credit for. Uh, but I think Vassell will be the better piece there, at least consistently. Yeah, he's very solid defensively. And yeah, like you mentioned, over the last year or two, he's really blossomed offensively. I don't think anyone quite expected him to be scoring at this rate because he was kind of a shocking top five pick when he was drafted. People were, were a little bit like, oh, who's what's this guy doing getting drafted this high? What's pop up to? And yeah, I like that one. Keldon Johnson, I feel like probably should have stepped up a little bit more by this point in his career. So I like, I like, I like, I don't Vassal Vassell. I said Vassell. I'm just going to keep saying it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I think Vassell is a great pick there because he, he has always reminded me a little bit of Tyler Hero in the sense of he just is an unpredictable scorer. But when he is hitting, man, does the offense feel like it can't it can't be stopped. All right. We'll end it for basketball there. Season just underway. We've already talked about it for an hour. That's how much we love basketball here. You all know that. Before we get into uh, the meat of the show, which, of course, is going to be the NFL and catching up on all of that, we want to talk briefly about baseball. As the playoffs have concluded, a World Series champion has been named, and unfortunately, it was not the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies kind of fell apart in glorious fashion. We beat the Braves like you and I both predicted might happen. Um, Got to the series against the Diamondbacks. It started out great, and towards the end of the series... Our bats cooled off. I mean, it felt like the Arctic when we were getting to our three, four, and five hitters towards the end of that series. Obviously not how you want things to go. 
walk us through the Phillies collapse a little bit in the CS. Phillies in the playoffs. Fun electric team to watch. They last year had a very good instance of 1-1 in the series. They have a great game where they're just hitting home runs, putting up runs in the Astros, win, I don't know, like 10 nothing, 10-1, whatever. And then they just went cold the rest of the World Series. They did not wait for the World Series to do that. They proceeded to do that against the Diamondbacks where they were just raking. They were just putting up runs. And I forget which of the games it was, but they just went ice cold after that. It's almost like they used up all the good run that they had, all the hits. And sure enough, the lineup just went ice cold. It was painful to watch. I know you can't always rely on Bryce Harper, but he just had to swing for the fences wasn't getting enough on it, and it was just flyouts and groundouts. Schwarber was doing just enough to kind of keep something there, but not much. And then JT Realmuto looked great in the end of that series. but And Brandon Marsh also. But then, of course, Cassianos used up all of his home runs way mm-hmm. too early. Or he was unstoppable against the Braves and then just cooled off real quickly in the NLCS. Um, Bryson Stott, not that you were going to rely on him a lot, but him being kind of this X factor, did not do a whole much, whole lot offensively. That was the issue with him is he had almost become something we could rely on and then very quickly lost lost that. Alec Bum has moments actually mm-hmm. usually when they weren't clicking he would do something in game seven. He was a big reason why they were in that game. Um, and then the bottom of the order just was, was a mess, whether it was Rojas or Pash or whatever. I know it's the nine hitter, but still it wasn't the, uh, yeah, that was so detrimental when you had a game like where Suarez, you know, pitches four innings like in game seven and lets up, you know, he lets up a few runs where, okay, you're in striking distance, you need to catch up, and you just can't. I think Nola getting shelled in game six was sort of the big class where it's like, okay, we're playing in Philly, this is fun and exciting, but the home field advantage that we thought we had is gone. It was disappointing to see, but I think the combination of them just cooling off offensively the pitching not being as dominant as it was in the NLDS. Mm-hmm. And then two other words, Craig Kimbrell, useless. Just that's, that's three words. Well, I'm just describing Craig Kimbrell because Craig Kimbrell is the two words, but useless. He, every time he came in, I'm like, he's going to walk people or they're going to score a run. And that happened in game three. Now, granted, that one went to extras, and he just more made a, a mockery of it by, like, stressing me out. Um, game four was all the same. And then, yeah, he was just a mess in the later half of that series. So the reliever we thought we had was not a Bradledge. He was uh, Aralus Chapman. Just not allowing home runs. It was disappointing. 
the Diamondbacks got red hot when they needed to. Had some really good pitching. You know, Corbin Carroll in Game Seven was sensational. Uh, Marte has looked great. You know, up until the World Series, and even the World Series looked good. He just couldn't do enough for them. It's a bummer, but I mean, that's kind of what happened in this series. Is kind of what happened last year with the yep. Padres and Phillies. Phillies I was just- back. I was going to bring it right to that because this is now back-to-back years where, at least in the NL, the sixth seed has gone all the way to the World Series. And this year was coupled with the fact that in the AL, the five-seeded Rangers, who took out the Astros in seven games, also went to the World Series. I wanted to raise a question that I think we touched upon in our last episode, but I really wanted to, to bring it up now, is are the teams that get a bye week in or a buy a first round buy in baseball actually at the disadvantage because baseball is such a sport of repetition and we are now seeing these younger teams that just get their way into the playoffs in the last week or two get really really hot because they had to get hot to get to the playoffs and it carries them almost through the playoffs almost all the way through and they're they're getting in. They're playing a team that keeps that blood flowing, but isn't usually quite good enough to beat them. Last year, the Phillies had the Cardinals. This year, the Diamondbacks had the Brewers. You then get to a really tough matchup and you're at peak level. And this team that's supposed to be better than you hasn't played in seven days or hasn't played in 10 days. Are these upper seeds actually at a disadvantage by not playing? Maybe from a hitting perspective, but from a pitching perspective, absolutely not. Because you have all your arms rested. The Phillies had to go in, play Miami. They had to use Zach, Zach Wheeler. They had to use Aaron Nola. That was your game one, game two starters. You can't just throw them back out again against in game one of the NLDS. You had to rely on your Ranger Suarez of the world. And granted, they got to pitch in that series, and maybe it worked out because the Braves sent out Strider. They didn't win game one, and then you're facing the aces of the Phillies. But you can – it's tough because we've had it the last two years. And, yeah, the NLCS last year was a six versus a five. Um, the Astros, though, made it to the ALCS both years and weren't wild cards. So maybe that's a little bit lingering. But – from a batting perspective, I could understand because a lot of teams were getting red hot at the right times while others weren't. But with that being said, you still have you should have better pitching against those teams that are red hot. So, you yeah. oh, know, go ahead. No, I just. I'm torn. I think part of what makes it difficult is the fact they're five game series. Mm-hmm. Five game series make it a little more chaotic. It's what I was clamoring for when we did predictions that I wanted a five game series against the Braves because I think you could surprise them. In a seven game series, the better team's usually going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, too, the Dodgers have always been choke artists in the playoffs. Honestly, so have the Braves. The Orioles were a one seed, they've never been there before. And. That we had show. kind of predicted that one, though. Yeah. And then the Astros, who had been there, were able to fight it off. And then, you know, the Rangers just couldn't lose on the road, as we'll talk about with the World Series victory. But they were 11-0 on the road. That's unstoppable. Yeah. They've, yeah, they were perfect 
on the road. That doesn't happen. That really, you don't hear that ever happening in, in playoffs and in sports in general. Um, but as you kind of referenced there, the Rangers went on. We talked. I just mentioned that they beat the Astros in seven in the ALCS. They met the Arizona Diamondbacks in the World Series and pretty quickly took care of business. I think the Diamondbacks took game one, if I'm not mistaken. No, game two. 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 Sorry, yeah. Rangers came out, won game one. Diamondbacks came out, win game two. And then it was all Rangers from there. They uh, gentlemen swept this series from there, four games to one. Corey Seager becomes the fourth two-time World Series MVP in history. Um, done it now with two different teams. And this Rangers team that we kind of saw really get brought together last year and disappoint a little bit, now able to come together. They brought in DeGrom. They brought back Scherzer. They made a lot of good moves. And all of a sudden, they're on top of the world. They're the best team in baseball. And if you look at that roster, you go, how the heck were they even a five seed in the first place? Yeah. And that man they paid a lot of money to, Corey Seager, last season prior, it paid off. He was sensational. He won the MVP for the World Series. And they... They just hit home runs. They they were what I hoped the Phillies would be. And even if the Phillies had won game seven and went to the World Series, I don't think they would have beat the Rangers because they just they were playing lights out. They were hitting real well. And their pitching was pitching was good for the most part. Even if they were down though, they were putting like in game seven, the Diamondbacks had no hit them, able to break through that and then keep piling on to win will end up being the game-winning game for the World Series. They just, they were not to be stopped, and sometimes you can't do anything about it. Nope, that's that's kind of how baseball goes, is once the ball starts rolling, sometimes it's, yes, have to wait till it gets to the bottom of the hill. And unfortunately for the Diamondbacks, that meant having to suffer a World Series loss, their first World Series appearance in, oh, a very, very, very long time. Um Possibly before we've been born, I believe. Sure, boy. <laughs> been a while for the Diamondbacks to get to the World Series. Um, a valiant effort, I think, surprised a lot of people living in this in the you know the city of Phoenix. A lot of people were surprised. A lot of people were happy. Again, not a big sports city, so there wasn't too much sadness, from what I understood. <laughs> when they when they didn't win, the kind of expectation was, "Wow, we're just happy to be here." Um, but great, great job. They had, you mentioned Corbin Carroll, excellent young guy. Kettle Marte had one of the best playoff runs you're ever going to see in terms of hit streaks and whatnot. Great effort. But again, that Rangers squad, just, just too superior. Yeah. Congrats. It is their first title in their history. So there you go. I think that brings me back to the last episode being correct about something. So go back, listen, prove me right. Um, and that will conclude the uh, the MLB season for the year. So we'll we'll have the awards that come out, you know, as the next few days and weeks progress. Just ended last week, so a few more awards, Golden Gloves to give out as well. So we'll see where we go with that. But that's going to be a wrap on the MLB season for this year. We will be back in 2024. We obviously won't cover it as intensely as we cover baseball and basketball. It's really too long of a season to be able to do that for. But as always, we'll keep you updated on baseball and, and the big free agent moves as well and trades that happen in the offseason. Hopefully the Phillies can address some of those batting struggles that we had. 
All right, moving on. Last sport we're going to talk about today is football. It's been almost a month since our last episode. We've done a few weekly predictions in between there. We haven't been quite as consistent with it. Do apologize about that. So we'll do all of that today on the show before we leave here today. But let's start with probably the biggest storyline uh, around the NFL this past week, which was the NFL trade deadline coming that ended. It was all about, what is it, 3.30 Eastern on Tuesday. So we had a few moves done the days before. I'm going to go through the big ones here, and we'll just talk about those for a little bit. So let's start with Washington. We had heard all year long that they were considering moving um, their star defensive lineman, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. The the word was we're going to see how this game against the Eagles goes, and then we're going to go from there. And that is basically exactly what happened is both of them got traded after that loss to the Eagles. A very competitive, tough game against the Eagles, might you add, might we add, but a loss nonetheless. So this is where it got interesting, though. I think most people at least general fans like you and I, would have considered Chase Young the more valuable one to go get, correct? Correct. However, that gets construed the fact that he had a 50-year rookie option. They declined it. Mm-hmm. So maybe the value wasn't there. But, yeah, for name value alone and being the number two overall pick a few years ago, absolutely. Chase Young, that's the the name value guy. It's the one. That should warrant the most, right? You would, you would think. So I'm sure you were just overjoyed by the fact that the 49ers landed Chase Young for a third-round pick. So he was drafted second overall. They ended up getting a third-round pick for him. I think a lot of people thought they could have gotten a little more, maybe a second. I don't think anyone was really, was really expecting a first-round pick for him. But I think people thought, wow, the 49ers got away with a low law on that one. Especially because, uh, you know, hours before, if even hours before, we had heard that the Bears were trading for Montez Sweat and they were giving up a second round pick. Now, what just came out is that the, the right before we started recording is that the Bears uh, extended Sweat four years. I think you said ninety eight million dollars, something along those lines. So this was a more long term move for the Bears, as we have not seen any any contract negotiating about Chase Young since he's been traded to San Francisco. First of all, I think everyone can agree that Washington was the overall winner of this because they got draft picks for players that were not going to take them anywhere, really. But. Do you feel if you're a Bear a Bears fan or a Bears coach, do you feel like you maybe could have gotten away with spending a little less than a second rounder? Uh, y- yes, I think you would have had to cough up a third though. Sure. Like, uh <sighs> The Bears, as so much as you make fun of them, they're trying and they come off as they're really trying to put something together. Mm-hmm. And I think teams are using that to their advantage and playing a little bit of hardball with them because they know they want them and are probably a little <laughs> overzealous about it. You mean like trading Chase Claypool for a second round pick that turns into Joey Porter Jr.? At, yes, actually, that's a great example. That, you know, <laughs> signing Tremay Edmonds for, not that it was it's a bad contract as yet, but like you're throwing out a lot of money to lure people in. The Bears aren't older franchise they have a lot of history but haven't done a whole lot 
in the past few years and not really a desirable spot because let's be honest Robbie lived near Chicago it's pretty cold there it's yeah I'm gonna be back up there next weekend for a wedding and I like have to mentally prepare for the fact that I'm gonna be cold for the first time in like a year (laughs) exactly they're trying to make something out of it and I think when you have the intention and like really want something you're more prone to give up more for it and I think the Bears overspent a little bit However, they did ink him to a, a deal, which locks him in as a piece for the next few years. So they did right by that. If they had got him and then he walked immediately, that is a huge problem. It was it was a better second round pick spent than than last year's, hundred percent, especially Absolutely. because Claypool then eventually got traded for a sixth round pick uh, or seventh round pick, whatever it was, and he's on the Dolphins now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the Bears are in a weird spot. They're not quite ready to compete. They're really in the heart of a rebuild, but they're not even really sure what they're doing at quarterback right now. There's a lot going on. And to give up a second like this is tough, especially with how it went last year. And just the way, especially and and how we've seen Joey Porter be playing for the Steelers too so far. It's just... It's hard to say the Bears won this trade. It's hard to say they lost, too, because Montez Sweat is a great player. But like you mentioned you're just kind of throwing money at people right now. It's, it's a, a whole movie about how the Oakland Athletics proved that that's not always the best way to win. Fo- football and baseball are a little different, but it it's a problem or it could be a problem because the Bears are going to be in the cellar of the NFL this year, like the lower half of it. So that second round pick is essentially like a really, really late first. Mm-hmm. Again. Like, again, exactly. And, it, it, you know, if they were a contending team and it was like pick 50 or 55, you know, that's a lot less valuable, in my opinion, than 35. Yeah, I you completely know, agree. It was it was pick round two, pick one last year. Right. And it's looking like it's going to be very close to that yet again. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that one plays out. But as of right now, Young for a third, Sweat for a second, Washington sitting happy with their picks and a defensive line that's about to get absolutely gashed. I would I would say fire up all opposing running backs in fantasy football against the Washington Commanders. Yeah, of course. It's after the Eagles played them, too. So that's fun. Of course. Of course. All right. Grim news for the Vikings fans who have already been dealing with a rough season. Not only is Justin Jefferson on the IR, but Kirk Cousins is now done for the season. He tore an ACL in the I think they they did. They didn't know they lost. They lost that game. He. No, they they won. It was against the Packers. He tore his Achilles. That's right. That's right. But sorry, not ACL. You're right. Achilles. Torres Achilles has had successful surgery on it, thankfully. So he should be able to make a full recovery and potentially even be able to play at some point next year. But that put the Vikings into a bit of crisis mode because normal backup Nick Mullins still had one more week before coming off the IR. You're at this weird, what are they, three and five now? Yes. Yeah. So you're at this weird could still turn things around maybe because our division stinks point, but also very easily two losses away from the season being a total bust and not wanting, not needing to bring Jefferson back. So 
they brought in Jaron Hall to finish out the game. Rookie didn't look so good. They end up making a move uh, to with the Cardinals to trade for Josh Dobbs, who's done very, very well filling in for the injured Kyler Murray, who is not going to play this week, but is likely to start next week for the Cardinals. So Dobbs has filled in very well so far for the Cardinals. However, he is not going to be starting immediately for Minnesota. So we're expecting uh, the rookie the rookie to start this this week. Hall, sorry, blanked on his name for a second. We're expecting Hall to start this week. There is a chance Dobbs replaces him if he struggles. And then there's a chance that Nick Mullins fil- filters in at some point when he comes back off of the IR. So really all I'm trying to say here is Minnesota is in a rough, rough spot. <laughs> They are, and that's what happens when your quarterback tears his ace, or sorry, the Achilles did it again, and your cornerstone wide receiver is also out for a little while. Like they've just been hit with the injury bug, and they 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 are a good team. We'll throw them in that like B minus category where they could make a run at the wild card, but now it's like. Uh, it's tough because they said right before the show happened that they want to re-sign Cousins, but they need to re-sign Jefferson or else, like, it's all for nothing. Like, they should just enter into a rebuild and just yeah. try and get healthy from there. So I'm not sure if they're trying to appease Jefferson here by, like, trading for Josh Dobbs is a band-aid over a pipe bursting. Like, it's yeah. not going to do a whole lot, but it's like you did something. So uh, it's better than an unproven rookie. And it's better than a guy who's always been a backup and is coming off of an injury that's kept him out all year. Agreed. It's, I'm just curious to see like who they're doing it for. Cause to, to, yeah, this, this be, is what Josh Bob's earned though, with his last few games in Tennessee last year is you've earned a chance everywhere you go. Oh, yeah, and that, this is not me coming after Josh Dobbs. Like, I think he will be a serviceable backup. The problem is I think they have the mindset that they're going to compete. Right. And that's where I'm like, without Jefferson, which could be another few games, you're not competing. I don't care how good Jordan Addison's been playing this year. Josh Dobbs will only do you so much. And if the NFC is as weak as it is, maybe you'll step in as a seven seed. But it's good that they only give up a seven-round pick. But the capital, like, they shouldn't really be invested in the season anymore, unfortunately. No. If if there's any worry about Jefferson's injury, don't bring him back. And Keep him shelved. I agree with that, even as a fantasy owner, Mr. Jefferson, myself. So There you go. There you go. Try and convince your league to do keeper. All right. <laughs> Run through a couple of the still big trades, but slightly less significant trades so we can get to the, the really fun ones. Um, Leonard Williams was sent to the Seahawks. The Giants have been struggling this year. They don't seem to be competing. So Leonard Williams to the Seahawks, who are currently winning the NFC West. Giants got back a future second and fifth round pick. I would actually say that was a pretty fair trade. I don't want to touch on this one too too much, but the the Seahawks needed desperately some defensive help. And the Giants get some draft capital out of it. Second round pick for a star lineman like that. I don't think anybody's too mad about it. Hmm. Uh, The Lions got Donovan Peoples-Jones from Cleveland for a sixth. I mentioned this because outside of Amon Ra, there has been no consistency among the Lions wide receivers. And Marvin Jones has essentially 
permanently stepped away from football at this point. It seems to be a mental health break, but the way he worded his goodbye, it made it sound like he was more or less retiring from football. So we will see how that plays out. But Donovan Peoples-Jones just going to fill a, a, um, a depth role in Detroit. You've got Josh Reynolds. You've got Jamison Williams, who just came back. Uh, and then now you have Peoples-Jones thrown into that mix as well. But Amon Ra and Sam Laporta remain the top two pass catching options in Detroit. Jaguars land Ezra Cleveland, offensive lineman from Minnesota for a sixth round pick. They are a team very much contending this year, trying to bolster that offensive line to protect ETN, who's dealt with a few minor injuries this year, to protect Trevor Lawrence, of course, who's your franchise quarterback, who has he's looked OK. I, I think at the beginning of the year, we talked about the fact that he hasn't really shown off yet. And I think that's almost continued so far till almost the halfway point. He's had a he's gotten better, I think, than the first few weeks, but it's still not superstar numbers that a lot of people are expecting out of him so we'll see if the upgraded offensive line helps with that two more trades we want to talk to about here we'll we'll end with the eagles we'll end on that one let's talk about the bills who i mean their offense looks perfect right now there's basically nothing you can complain about outside of maybe the run game but that's always what you can complain about with the buffalo offense defense has been a bit of a different story their defense isn't quite as tight and and tough as it has been over the last few years. It's still very good. Don't get me wrong. It's one of the best in football. Uh, but they made a move to bolster the secondary. They got Rasul Douglas from the Packers. Uh, they also got a fifth round pick in exchange for a third round pick. The reason I really like this trade is because as of right now in this moment, the Bills are probably my pick to win the AFC. The way everything's been shaping out, the way they've been looked. I know the Dolphins are winning the division. I know the Chiefs are obviously still hanging around. But the Bills are – something about them just feels built for the playoffs this year. They don't seem so concerned with losing a game here and now because we know everyone's going to lose a couple games. Going undefeated, going one or two losses isn't that important. Getting there and being ready when you're there are the important things. And that's what Buffalo has to know by this point. And I, I just that offense has been terrifying. And I think a bolster at defense. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, man, we unpack that. I think the Josh Allen is clicking. I think their offensive line is suspect beyond belief. And I think this week when they play the Bengals is going to be a good gauge of like how good they are. The Bengals have been. Very hit or miss this year. And their defense is okay. just, it's okay, yeah. Um, but losing Trey White to an Achilles injury has opened up their defense tremendously where they have improvements to the front four and the linebacking core, but now their secondary has been depleted with just injuries. So he's a pretty cheap trade as of now. Like his salary cap hits like maybe a million dollars, maybe less mm-hmm. next year is where it ends up being, I think 6 million. So we'll see what happens with it. If it is just a one year rental, but I mean, he played for the Eagles. He was a great corner for the team and I like the pickup. It'll definitely help. I think, um, but built for playoffs is a little bit different because we've seen this team do very good throughout points of the season and then just cool off. In playoff time, especially last year with the Dolphins and Bengals game. So I appreciate the optimism. I'll tell you what, in Buffalo, though, it's aggressive pessimism. I, I Living in Arizona, I understand that. 
Um, but the one thing I will say that, that we do know that could be negative for them is that we do know a lack of offensive line can be detrimental come playoff time. That being said, you still have a little bit of time to work on it, improve a little bit, hopefully. Um, but like you, you, I, I like what you said about this Cincinnati beat game almost being a, a, a really good test for this team because Kansas City actually has a very good defense this year, despite what normally is a very average at best defense, especially against the run. And if you can't establish a run game in the playoffs, that means Josh Allen's throwing 50, 60 passes. That means Josh Allen's throwing at least two interceptions. You need to avoid those situations. So hopefully the O-line can step up a little bit. But at least now Rasul Douglas puts a little bit, uh, at least eases a little bit of the pressure that has been on the secondary since since the Trey White injury. Yeah, absolutely. It was much needed for that team. And I like the trade. And you know we're going to see what happens this weekend, but it, it was a necessary trade. They didn't give a whole lot for a guy like um, the Bear Johnson on the Bears. Like, exactly. You would have had to give up a second round Easy. pick, most likely. Yeah. No, I think the Bills made out about as well as they could have there. Last trade we want to talk about here. Your Philadelphia Eagles have struggled defending the pass this year, specifically against the Washington Commanders. But in general, they have struggled in the secondary. So they brought in Kevin Byard from the Tennessee Titans in exchange for uh, Terrell Edmonds, fourth round pick and a fifth round pick, former Steeler. I know this. Um, I don't think he played very much last week against Washington. At least I didn't see him out to to not not in the role that you're expecting him to play of, of the every every down safety um what i will say is the tennessee titans like I, I said to you before the show are the gift that keeps on giving for the philadelphia eagles if anybody thinks about the last time these two teams made a trade it was who's looking like the best wide receiver in football now for a guy who just got rushed to the hospital on thursday night football it was the aj brown for what turned into the Traylon burks trade I think this doesn't quite have that magnitude of potential for the Eagles. However, I know Terrell Edmonds is a below average safety. I know a fourth and fifth round pick aren't the worst things to give up for a veteran defensive back who can only help your team at this point. I think it was a solid move for the Eagles. I think they probably could have given up a little bit less, but at the end of the day, they are desperate for help in that secondary and Bayard is going to is going to provide at least some alleviation. Yeah, he was he played against the Commanders a little bit more on the passive side, and it's coming back from Colorado, so I didn't get a chance to see all of it. But he he was playing, I think, knowing the defense is a big part of it, where you can play mm-hmm. aggressively if you understand it more and understand what your colleagues are doing. I, I like it though because. C.J. Gardner-Johnson could have been a great opportunity this offseason. That whole saga panned out poorly for, honestly, both sides. And, yeah, Edmonds wasn't cutting it. Blankenship's been hurt. They need help in the secondary. And I like the pickup. I think it'll be good. And we'll see it pay dividends, hopefully. But at the very least, like, you really can't go lower than – like nothing because the secondary has been terrible this year. Let's see what happens. It's, it's not really a gamble because you can't go lower. 
No, it's just like you gave up on Edmonds a little quick, but at the end of the day, he wasn't playing well. So what are you going to yeah. do? All right. So there you have it. There are the major moves that were made at the NFL trade deadline. Um, no Broncos receivers got moved. No, no Jalen Johnson from the Bears. A couple guys that his name had been men- names had been mentioned did not get traded. Dalvin Cook, another one. Ezekiel Elliott, few, few of those running backs didn't get, garner as much interest as as they may has may excuse me may have hoped they would have. So, moving off the deadline and the news from the last few weeks here, let's round out this show with our Week Nine. NFL predictions. There were no bye weeks last week in week eight, oddly enough. So we are back to having a few teams on bye this week. Thursday night football has come and gone. My Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Tennessee Titans 20 to 16. Deontay Johnson scoring his first touchdown in 119 catches or in about a year and a half for most people. Um, It had been a long time since Mr. Johnson had found the end zone. I was so satisfied because I made the very, very last second decision to put him into my fantasy football lineup, 18.5 points and half PPR. Beautiful, beautiful game for him. Um, Steelers looked rough at times, but we know that the Steelers are a team that can come down and score a game winning uh, score or a game winning touchdown if they need to. And that is exactly what happened. And then it was all, all culminated by a Quan Alexander goal line interception to seal the game. Rookie Will Levis played well, I thought. Um, but they had Tennessee has yet to name a starter for week 10. So eyes on that situation there. Moving on. I'll let you take it over from here. We'll break down uh, the game, the game schedule and make our selections. All right, here we go. Germany game. Ah. Dolphins at Chiefs. One of the better games in the slate at Chiefs, right? Quote, quote, unquote. Oh, yeah. Big, big quote, unquote. Um, I'll, I'll have to ask my girlfriend if there's any weather, what, you know, weather conditions going on in Germany this this week. But no, I think I had actually put Miami at first. I have changed to Kansas City. I'm going with the Chiefs. Um, I, I, the, the the changing moment was when I saw Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been ruled out. Going for the Isaiah Pacheco game today or tomorrow. Today there. Right. <laughs> uh, I think with the fact they're going to Germany farther travel that not by much but like to london different area i just like the idea of this being a low scoring game and when the dolphins offense isn't producing that is a problem i do think the chiefs will be built more for it so i'm gonna say the chiefs if the chiefs lose though i worry this is the catalyst that's going to propel them to the super bowl so mm. go chiefs <laughs> there you go all right, next game. Sec. We got drumroll, please. <laughs> the Vikings at Falcons. Wow, two two new quarterbacks coming into the fray here: Jaron Hall and Taylor Heineke, uh, sent quote unquote taking over for an injured Desmond Ritter. I guess is what they're calling it for now. I got the Falcons here. Uh, their defense has been okay. They just lost Grady Jarrett, but they just made a trade deadline move that we didn't mention um, to kind of bolster their line a little bit. So I don't think Minnesota's quite figured things out yet. We'll call it go Atlanta. Yeah, I can't not go with Atlanta. They, you know, I know they haven't been good this year. They are four and four. They've looked poor offensively minus those strokes of brilliance from Bijan Robinson, but whatever, like, the Packers game, where they looked terrible, squeaked out a win. Looked 
pretty poor against, oh, who was it? The Texans. Squeaked and out a win. Knock out a win, yep. I got to go with Falcons, especially since they're at home. Makes too much sense to me, which kind of concerns me. And young Wei Koo, top five kicker in football. Very good kicker. Bears at Saints. It's like the Peter Griffin meme. I feel like I do this once a year. Who the hell? Okay. I got the Saints. You got a lot of these in these lists. I got yeah. It's not a great week. Um, I I got the Saints. No no Justin Fields. That's 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 the hope for the Chicago Bears out the door. I for my fantasy season, I'm gonna need the Saints defense to do very well. They've been good. That was a good good pick by you. I've been very impressed by that one. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, need them to do well again, so we're going Saints, and I like them in this matchup. See how they do. The new Washington Commanders versus the new England Patriots. This is arguably the grossest game on the schedule. I got the Patriots in this one. I... I think this will be the first time the Patriots are actually able to establish a little bit of a run game. I think Washington's season has ended. I agree with the last point where I think their season's over, but I still think the Commanders are going to win some dumb way. Sam Howell has been spotty, but like their offense has been clicking, and with how enemy has been commanding it, I think it could be... Pro- if their defense can do anything against the Patriots' offense, I think they can win the game. Which doesn't sound like the most impossible thing in the world. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so it sounds like we were split on that one. I got the Patriots, you got the Commanders. This is, a, I think, a better game than you'll give it credit for, but Seahawks at the Ravens. This is a good game. These are two division winners right now, division leaders actually right now. Um, I've got Baltimore written down. I'm going to stick with that, but I think this game is going to surprise a lot of people. I think this is going to be one of the more competitive games uh, of, of the Sunday slate, if I'm being completely honest here. Um, but Baltimore is a bit more of a complete team. I believe they have the most sacks in the NFL this year. Their defense, even in, even a little beat up, is just so high-powered, so high-pressure. Uh, I, got, I got Baltimore. Geno Smith has not looked as good as he did last year. Seahawks lost in week one to the Rams, and I forget where their other loss is, but they have been able to squeak out a bunch of wins. Aren't they five and three? Five and two. Oh, they had a bye already. That's right. Yeah. Ravens being six and two. I read some stat, and I don't know if it's an actual stat, but I read it somewhere, so it's got to be true, that Lamar Jackson on the road is fantastic and like almost unbeatable, but Lamar Jackson at home is actually beatable i forgot the records but i i think ravens have been hot i think they need to cool down a little bit we're gonna go seahawks i'm cool with that as a steelers fan yeah next game a better's wet dream buccaneers at texans i was waiting for this one uh as a C.J. Stroud fantasy owner, I do sometimes feel obligated to pick the Houston Texans just to hopefully manifest their offense performing well. I do not see that happening in this game. No uh, Damian Pierce, so you'll see Devin Singletary as a lead back. Anybody looking for a fantasy plug-and-play? Um, however, 
Not a good defense to go up against. Tampa Bay's been very good, especially against the run. I got the Buccaneers in this one. Baker Baker Mayfield has impressed this year so far. He hasn't been outwardly impressive, but he has been good. He has been very solid so far. I don't think they have had any any concerns about his play so far. Well, in my other league, I was gifted with Kirk Cousins late, late in the draft. And unfortunately, Kirk Cousins will no longer be playing. So my team is called the Baker's Dozen. And I have picked up <laughs> Baker Mayfield this week. Ah, boy. So I think he's not going to put up buku numbers here, but I do like the Buccaneers against the Texans team. I think it'll be a close game with how they played against the Panthers, with how they played throughout this year with some of the close games. I think the Buccaneers can win it just with how they're wired and the pedigree they have and how they played this year. So I'm going to go with the Bucs as well. Next game, last one o'clock game, Cardinals at Browns. Um, <laughs> um, pass. No, nah. no. Um, I got the Browns. I hate <laughs> it. Watson's playing. I don't expect him to do anything. I expect this to be a ground-heavy approach by Cleveland. Ford, Ford should be back in control of the backfield, but we don't know how that's going to be split today or tomorrow. Uh, Cardinals playing with a rookie quarterback. With Keontae Ingram as the lead running back, no Zach Ertz, nobody of any relevance, really. Cleveland probably wins this one by a more disgusting amount than I want to admit. I'm going to call it 21-0 Cleveland. It would be hard to pick against the Browns in this spot, being at home, (laughs) playing somehow a more gutted Cardinals team than before with a rookie starting quarterback. Yeah, Browns. I have this feeling we are never going to hear the name Clayton Tune again after tomorrow. Sure. It's like Trace McSorley from last it year. It is exactly like Trace McSorley. <laughs> All right, let's go to the four o'clock games. I don't know why this one is a four o'clock, just with where both these teams are geographically located. But Colts at Panthers at 405. Oh, sorry. I thought it said my, I wrote, my handwriting is terrible, ladies and gentlemen. And so my C's sometimes look like L's, and it looked like I had Colts versus Rams. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Colts Panthers is a different story. What? I got the Colts in this one. I don't have pretty handwriting. You went to high school with me. You should know this. Um, I got the Colts in this one. They have surprised all year long. Like, oddly, been oddly competitive. Their their defense isn't great, but their offense does enough, even with Minshew at the helm, uh, trying to manifest another Michael Pittman good game. So we got the Colts. I'm also going to go with the Colts, despite how they have played this year. They are a wagon for fantasy because they will get slaughtered defensively, but they'll just keep scoring. Yep. Michael Pittman, frustrating beyond belief when it comes to catches and actual yards, but he'll score a touchdown. He gets and, 50 targets a game. That's all I care about. Yeah, and he catches one ball as a touchdown. That's fine. Uh, I'll go with Colts, too. Um, Panthers got their first win last week. I expect them to cool off. And yep. with Miles Sanders like just being poor and they're splitting carries in the backfield. Yeah, like, I heard H- Hubbard is the starter now, but they're split. I mean, I'm hoping they Hubbard scores immediately and then we just call it like a day with Miles Sanders. Not like <laughs> Miles Sanders rides off into the sunset to never be heard of again. Look, I love the former Eagle, but him getting six million a year was not going to happen in Philly. So what can you do? All right. 
Another gross game. Yeah, another gross game. Giants at the newly coachless, but not coachless anymore because they have an interim coach, Raiders. Uh, I believe Danny Jones is back for the Giants, if I'm not mistaken. So we're going to go with the Raiders. Uh, They have actually looked better with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback than with Daniel Jones at quarterback. I understand the Raiders are starting rookie Aiden O'Connell, and Devontae Adams seems to have something called blind faith in a rookie quarterback who has not looked good this year. Um, But I do actually, for what, I don't have any logical reason for saying it, but I think the Raiders are going to come out and win this game. I don't hate any of that line of thinking because I think a change of pace and scenery will be ultimately good with Will Levis. I know he lost on Thursday, but one thing he did well when they beat the Falcons was he just fed DeAndre Hopkins the ball and it led to a very great win in a big game. He kind of did. DeAndre Hopkins only had four catches. Just three of them were touchdowns. I fed him the ball when he needed to. (laughs) Tannehill would never do that. So that'll be interesting to see who they decide the starting quarterback is going to be moving forward. It should be Will Levis. Like, I don't care what he does this season. He's given enough and he's a lot younger. You might as well prove it. (sighs) Giants defense has looked very good, though. That's where I'm like. They just traded one of their best players. Yeah, but like they're still good without him. But I do think Aiden O'Connell is going to feed the ball to Devontae Adams. And I also think Josh Jacobs will finally get like a pretty big game that he's been missing as the last few weeks. So I'll go Raiders. There you go. Game of the week, I'm presuming Cowboys at Eagles. Cowboys at Eagles. That's an awesome game. Uh, It's in Philly, correct? It is in Philly. Philly. That's the determining factor. Dallas will win the next one. Probably. I I wore, like, it's going to be a shootout. Yep. I don't care how good Dallas' defense is. I bet you, like, the Eagles will put up 20-plus points. Of course. It's Ken Eagles... Can the Eagles hold them under 30 is my issue. Can the Eagles prevent the defense from scoring itself? Yeah. The, the Cowboys will always win if their defense is, quote, scoring one to two touchdowns a game. Oh, yeah. Who? Kellen Moore is not the OC anymore, which bothers me, because he would try and feed Pollard, which here's here's some secrets to being the Eagles. Don't run the ball. The Commanders figured that out very quickly, and we're like, we're just going to throw nonstop. I still think the Cowboys are still going to try and run with Tony Pollard, and it's not going to work out the way they want to. You shut your mouth from the words of a Dak Prescott fantasy owner. That, that, no, they should, hold on, I think you misheard me. They should not run the ball. Oh, should not, okay, I did mishear you, yes. Because their best bet is to throw nonstop throughout the entire game, run it occasionally to like free up the pass. The Eagles front seven, phenomenal, excellent, great. One of the best in the leagues. Their secondary, one of the worst in the leagues. Throw the ball. I, be- I believe at least on a uh, sleepers ratings, the Eagles give up the third most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. I absolutely believe that. That's insane. Considering the other ones are like Denver and Probably another team nowhere near sniffing the playoffs. This year, I, I got to go Philly, too. I, I agree where 
they're probably going to lose in Dallas next time. Philly has looked good at home. They were able to tighten up and play well against the Dolphins. If they can do that, I, I like it. I think there's going to be some sort of controversial stuff that goes on in that game, though. Sure, sure. That's That should happen between those two teams. Yeah, and it's going to be – my Twitter is going to be plagued with just Cowboys fans complaining about that. For I hope it's just Jalen Carter just ball taps Dak Prescott. I wouldn't hate that. I think it'd be so funny. As a man of ethics, I wouldn't hate that. <laughs> All right. Sunday night game, another good Whoa, one, I wait, think. Did you did you skip one? Rams Packers? Oh I did. Rams Packers. What would you I like? was like, I was like, that's not a night game. Um I had Packers in this one actually. I feel like an odd bounce back from Jordan Love is coming. And the Rams uh also Oh, sorry. That was why I actually picked. Uh, Matt Stafford has been deemed the game time of all game time decisions. They have activated another quarterback off of their practice squad. It does not sound like it's trending in his direction. Puka Nakua is also a questionable game time decision. Packers. Begging for some kind of consistency. The, the Green Bay Packers will take this game. If Matthew Stafford plays Rams win, I'll still go with Packers, though, because that strikes me as they wouldn't play Stafford. And they're they're in Green Bay. It's not if they were in LA, regardless mm. of the quarterback was, I'd be like, let's go Rams here, but Packers. Okay, apologies for that. Let's get to the better game, though. Bills at Bengals, a big repeat. Well, so. I yeah, this is. I mean, like we said when we were talking about it before, this is massive for Buffalo. It's massive for both teams, actually, given how Cincinnati started off the year. Um, first, first things first. Depending on what it is, bet the over. Please bet the over. This is going to be a shootout of all shootouts. I do have Buffalo in this one, though. They are more consistent. They're more reliable. Um, and to be completely honest, let me put it this way, though: if the Bengals win. This game, they're gonna they're gonna be the team that rivals Baltimore for the division. They they lose this game, it's gonna be that can we get our heads above 500 and at what point do we actually do it for the, for in terms of po- getting into the postseason? So I got Buffalo. I'm gonna stick with Buffalo. I'm gonna be not surprised at all if this is just a very close competitive game that is won on the last second field goal or something. I'm going to go with the Bengals only because they do this every year. They start real slow and then they get hot. And I think this is where they start to get hot. Sure. I would have loved if this was a December game, but. Plus you picked Philly. You can't pick Philly and Buffalo, right? (laughs) (laughs) Legally not allowed to. (laughs) No, I I just, it's definitely recency bias, but I think with the banged up secondary, if they go after the Bills' corners, I think they're going to have an easy time of slicing them up with T. Higgins, with with Jamar Chase. They just need to avoid the run game. Kind of going back to what we said about the Cowboys. Avoid it. I, you, I, I don't care if you have Joe Mixon. Avoid it. <laughs> Bad. Avoid Bad, Joe Mixon. I am, I am perplexed right now over to who to start between Joe Mixon and Jerome Ford. I am perplexed. It's funny because the guy I'm playing in fantasy has both of them that I'm going up against. I love so I that. can't give you any other. See, role. I have I have Isaiah Pacheco, who's been the running back nine. He he is locked in as my running back one. Oh, yeah. And no, like I said, no Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 
Mixon's got this stupid questionable tag that's like he's playing, but he's questioned. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) I really do think, though, Mixon may not put up a lot of stats, but I bet you'll score a touchdown from like three yards away, like a starting touchdown. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm going to stick with Mixon, I think, unless somehow, someway this injury proves more more serious tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, I guess. They have the nightcap, so we'll see. But it looks like it's looking like Mixon on my end. And then the final game... In the slate, the Monday night game, two completely opposite teams. I don't know which which one's at which, but it's Thanks. the Char- Chargers at Jets. Yeah. yeah, all offense versus all defense. Um, my gut obviously tells me Chargers. No, no, no kidding. But they're still under 500, aren't they? They are three and four. So yes. Yeah. Um. There's your shot because the Jets haven't been uncompetitive this year. They've just they have Zach Wilson at quarterback. So the I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Chargers here. My my claim is if the Jets can keep this a low scoring game, they're going to win. If they can keep it to where Zach Wilson can win the game with only throwing one touchdown pass, then they're going to win the game. But if at any point the Chargers surpass that three touchdown point, that twenty point mark. It's over. They're going to win the game. The Jets don't have that firepower. So you're going Chargers. I'm going Chargers. I assume they're going to get that 20-point mark pretty quickly. I think we're due for regression. Watching the Chargers play against the Cowboys, when Justin Herbert's under pressure, he can still make stuff happen, but he's very inaccurate. I think... The Jets are just going to get to him, and I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, and we're going to watch their offensive weapons be stifled. I'm going Jets. I hate doing it, but I'm going Jets. I love it. A little controversy to end the episode. That's great. Well, we did it. We're back, and football is fun. Football is exciting. I feel like Danny Rojas. Football is love. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we love Dan. Good Danny Rojas reference too to end the show. Man, you're you're killing it here at the end here. Um, no, it is it does feel good to be back. Uh, I will say right out right right outright, I will not be able to record next weekend, so we'll we'll have another at least one week break. Hopefully, get back into an every other week type of situation here now, uh, as things are at least a little more calm. After this trip, we'll be a little more calm on my end with a couple breaks coming up for the school and whatnot. I'm not going anywhere for them, so. Should be all right on on that regard, um, but we'll we'll try and at least get the predictions out every week at this point. Try and keep that consistent. I think I have a one up on you right now, if I'm not mistaken. I, I believe right. you do. I'll have to check, but I think you're a few games ahead of me. All right, so we'll see how this week shakes up, and if you catch back up or if I, if I pull away a little bit. Either way, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I had a really fun time recording this episode. We got a, a lot of good stuff. Always good when we have more than just one or two sports to talk about. So that felt great. Always good to have a good chat with you also, my friend. So everybody enjoy the episode. Enjoy enjoy your, your weekend, your week, whenever you have a chance to listen to this. And we'll be back probably around week 11 for the NFL season. Get back in the swing of things. Take care, everyone.